Hey there. Thank you so much for checking out this message with us at Believer's Chapel. Our prayer is that you have a genuine experience with God and that you're able to connect with him in a deeper way as a result of listening to this message. Thank you again. God bless you. So today we are talking about the upside-down kingdom again. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Rich kick off this series, and he talked about the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Right? You remember that? Now, that doesn't make sense to our human minds, does it? Because winners are winners, and losers are losers, right? If you come in first, you're not the last. If you come in last, you're not the winner. And yet, in the upside-down kingdom of God, the first will be last, and the last will be first. So today we're going to keep talking about the upside-down kingdom. And as I was preparing this, I think we have a slide here. Lizzie, you can put up that reflection image. Do you see how in this bubble everything's upside-down? right? This beautiful picture and that you, you look through this glass globe and everything's completely upside down. So I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this morning and I remembered, did you ever do this when you were a kid? You ever looked at your reflection in a spoon? Anybody? Okay, this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, if you are at home right now, go get a spoon and if you are here, you're going to have to do this when you get home. I was going to have a spoon made for everybody with the upside-down kingdom engraved on the handle, but apparently it's not in the budget, so you just have to get your own spoon at home. So if you look at the back of the spoon, you can see your reflection, right? And if you flip it around and look at the inside of a spoon, I hope you're doing this at home, you look at the inside of the spoon, and all of a sudden, your reflection is completely upside-down. It's like you're standing on your head. You better try this today, seriously. <laughs> I cannot believe everybody doesn't know about this. We used to laugh so hard. I don't know why we thought it was so funny when I was a kid. <laughs> but my siblings and I did this all the time. And if you, you look at it, you can kind of twist it around and make yourself look all goofy, and then you flip it around, there you are upside down. So sometimes when we look at the kingdom of God, when we look at the word of God, Sometimes all of a sudden it feels like we're looking at the inside of a spoon because everything looks upside down. There's this kingdom that says the first will be last and the last will be first. Let's look at, we're going to start by looking at 1 Corinthians. We're going to look through a lot of this, this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but these two verses, 18 and 25, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 25, says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are be being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, as we go through this chapter, I want you to, if you have, if you have a Bible that looks like this, grab a pen, and as we go through these verses, every time you see something that refers to wisdom or foolishness, underline it. And every time you see anything that refers to strength and power or weakness, underline that. Because these are the two things that the Apostle Paul addresses over and over again. Wisdom and foolishness, strength and weakness. And we're going to look at what is wisdom and what is foolishness, and what is strength and what is weakness. Now, to give you a very quick background, your Bible is actually not one book. It's a collection of 66 books, right? And one of those books is called the Book of 1 Corinthians. That's what we're reading from today. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which comes right after it. These are letters that were written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was not just some small little podunk village. Corinth was a booming metropolis city, much like uh, New York City or London or Paris. And Corinth actually had a lot in common with our culture today and with the culture of the Western world. So Corinth, the, the values in Corinth were it was a very individualistic society. So individualistic means What's, import, what's most important is what's most important to me. The individual is what matters. So there are many cultures that that's not true. The highest moral good is not doing whatever makes me happy, pursuing my own dreams, following my own heart, but rather what's good for the community or what's good for the family. But Corinth, much like the Western world today, much like the United States, much like Syracuse, New York, was individualistic, self-focused. I matter most, right? It was also very humanistic, which means humanism says all of the answers to everything lie within us, within humanity. It's human knowledge, it's human wisdom, it's human strength, it's human kindness and human compassion. That, is, that will solve all of the problems in the world. We don't need some higher power. We just need the right opportunities, the right tools, and we can solve any problem. That's what humanism is. So that's, that is Corinth, and that is the United States, right? And also, Corinth was known, very well known, for two things. Excess and sexual license or sexual freedom. In other words, um, gluttony and materialism and I can only be fulfilled if I have the full freedom to express any sexual desire that I have. I can't be happy without that, right? There was actually a term for this, for living in excess in sexual license or sexual freedom, and that is to Corinthianize, to Corinthianize. So we live in a society today that loves to Corinthianize. We actually, um, I was working on this message on Monday, and 
I hate to admit that this is true, but <laughs> I was in the office at home trying to focus on what am I going to what am I going to say on Monday? What is I mean on Sunday? What is God speaking? And I could not focus because there was so much junk in the office around me that it was just stressing me out. And there's there were pile of book piles of books tipping over. There was paperwork on the desk. There was school supplies. There was garbage. There was food crumbs. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was bad. Okay. So I spent instead of spending the afternoon praying and studying scripture. I spent the afternoon rage cleaning the office so that I could focus. And what I did was I moved everything out into the dining room and living room, and I went back in the office and closed the door. All the excess is gone. Now I can focus. And there are still books in the living room that I haven't taken care of yet, but, yeah, my husband is nodding to that. Let's get rid of them. It's so hard to let go of books, though. But we have this mentality of excess, right? It's a part of our culture. It's a part of our nature. So why is this important? Why am I talking about all of this background of Corinth? Well, this is who Paul was writing this letter to. He was writing to the church in Corinth, to the Christians in Corinth, to the followers of Christ in Corinth. And yet, they had the mentality of the world. And what was happening is it was causing divisions and strife and arguing. Let's look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians 1.11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. I'm sure you have never seen quarrels among Christians. No division or arguing here, right? What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Was I, why are you saying you follow me? Was I crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Now, I'm sure that none of us have any quarrels or divisions or arguments based on pride. For example, we would never say, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow President X. I follow President Y. I am a part of this political party. I am a part of that political party. We would never find pride in that, would we? No. How about, maybe, maybe your pride is that I don't get involved in politics. All you people are arguing about politics. I don't get involved in politics. I'm worried about the church. I'm worried about the, the word of God. Listen, I am a Pentecostal. I follow the spirit of God. Or maybe you say, no, 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 I am a Baptist. I follow the word of God. I'm the one that has the answer. I follow the word. Or maybe you say, I am non-denominational. I follow Christ. Listen, we're, we are a non-denominational church. 
listen, there's nothing wrong with being Pentecostal or Baptist or non-denominational or Republican or Democrat. The problem is when we make that the most important thing. And there are people, you know, there are people here even saying, I follow Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? But what if your attitude is, unlike all of you other losers, I follow Christ. Suddenly, <laughs> doesn't quite sound so holy and righteous anymore, right? So this is a problem that Paul is dealing with about 2,000 years ago. It's, it rings a little true, doesn't it? It sounds a little familiar here. So what does he say? For Christ did not send me to baptize or to gather a following for myself, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So you see a lot of, you see the word wisdom, you see the word power. It's a little harder if, you're, if you've got your Bible app because you can't underline a single word, but... Now, verse 18, listen to this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What does foolishness mean? Foolishness means sheer folly, nonsense, complete absurdity, stupid, silly, worthless. So to those who are perishing, the Bible says, the message of the cross is foolishness. So you're trying to tell me, you come to me and say, the God of the universe clothed himself in human flesh, was born as a baby in a barn, <laughs> grew up in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then the Messiah was killed like a common criminal by the government that he was supposed to come overthrow and rescue us from. Not only that, you're trying to tell me that my sins are so bad that God himself had to come die for me? That's nonsense. I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. Or maybe you look at the, the cross of Christ and say, you mean to tell me that... This is the only way. You mean to tell me that not all religions are basically the same? That not every path leads to heaven? That Jesus Christ and him crucified is the only way to have salvation, freedom from sin, and eternal security where, where you'll have eternal life with God in heaven forever. Jesus is the only way. That's foolish. That's nonsense. How can you be so arrogant as to say that? It, it, that is upside down. That makes no sense to human wisdom. But, oh, keep going. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, when we look at the cross, we have two responses life or death. We see weakness or we see victory. We see foolishness where God allowed himself to suffer and to die for us. 
or we see the very power of salvation that sets us free, that brings us life. Here's the upside-down kingdom. The cross, an instrument of death, brings life. This is the upside-down kingdom. The cross, an instrument of death, brings life. It's foolishness. It's upside down. It makes no sense. But God says this. I will destroy. It says uh, in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. The amazing wisdom in the power of the cross is that it's incredibly simple. It doesn't take a great, amazing, intelligent mind. It doesn't take great philosophers. It doesn't take great scholars. It takes people who are called by God and choose to believe. It's incredibly wise, incredibly powerful. What looks like foolishness is far beyond the greatest human wisdom. What looks like weakness is far beyond the greatest human strength. We cannot, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, save ourselves. We can never be good enough. We can never be smart enough. We can never figure it out on our own. The message that I'm bringing you today is that God is smarter than we are. God is smarter than we are. Do you believe that? Verse 20, let's keep going. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Listen, God is smarter than the scholars. God is smarter than the philosophers. God is smarter than the scientists. God is smarter than the doctors. God is smarter than the teachers. God is smarter than the social influencers. I'm really going to blow your mind here now. God is smarter than Alexa and Siri. <laughs> now, think about this. If we went to God with our questions, half as much as we went to Google... Think about that for a second. Why do we go to Google with all our questions? Because Google knows. Google has all the answers. Why do we not go to the Word of God? Why do we not go to God in prayer? Because guess what? He actually has all the answers. He actually has all the knowledge and all the wisdom. even though it might look upside down to us. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through, his, through the foolishness of what was preached, which is the cross, to save those who what? Believe. This is the foolish message <laughs> That is the great wisdom of God. We need to believe. 
We don't earn anything. We don't pay the price on our own. We don't figure it out on our own. We look to God and we believe. We believe God is smarter than we are. I don't mean to offend you, but God is smarter than you are. But guess what? He's smarter than I am too. Now, verse 22. Here's where we have some problems. The Apostle Paul says this. Jews demand signs. Or your, your Bible might say miraculous signs. Jews are looking for power. They want to see miracles. And he says, and the Greeks, they're looking for wisdom. They're looking for philosophy. They're looking for the artistry of logic and rhetoric and imagination. And both of them look at the cross and say, foolishness, weakness. The Jews, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Greeks. Why? Because the Jews are looking for a conquering Messiah to overthrow the oppressive government. Here comes a Messiah that is crucified by the oppressive government. This is a stumbling block. Obviously, he's not the Messiah, or he wouldn't have been killed by the people he was supposed to overthrow. And the Greeks look at him and say, so the Greeks had this, have this very intricate philosophical reasoning that showed that a God cannot be harmed in any way by humans or suffer in any way by humans. So here comes somebody who says, I am the son of God. Here comes God wrapped in human flesh and human beings killed him. Well, clearly he can't be the son of God. Foolishness or humans wouldn't be able to touch him. That's foolishness. But, say but. You will say anything I ask you to say, won't you? <laughs> but, with one T, but, we, but, sorry, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, both Jews and non-Jews, read this with me. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ, to both Jews and non-Jews, if you are Jewish here, he's speaking to you. If you are not Jewish here, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to all of us. Christ is both the power and the wisdom of God. Amen? Brothers and sisters, verse 26. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Listen, I don't know what your childhood was like, but I grew up in DeKalb Junction, New York. I have used an outhouse. <laughs> I do not have a noble, dignified background. And yet, God has used that to form me into the person that I am today. But God chose, listen to this, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that, here's the reason, why did God do that? Why did God choose the weak and foolish things? Why did he choose the cross? Why did he choose suffering? So that no one may boast before him. This is the reason. Do you remember what Paul was addressing in this letter? Christians who are divisive, Christians who are arguing, Christians who are looking down on each other. Because what are you boasting in? You are not of noble birth. You are not wise. You are not strong. Who is? Jesus alone. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It says it is because of him that are you, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's all a message for another day. Keep reading that on your own. The wisdom of God. He is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore it is written, let no one boast, or let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the best looking. You don't have to be the most popular on social media. You don't have to align yourself with the right politician or the right church affiliation or the right apostle or the right saint. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. So none of us have anything to boast about. So here I am telling you over and over again, God is smarter than, you're going to get it by the end of this morning. God is smarter than we are. God is smarter than we are. So you're probably thinking, wow, this is an amazingly profound message. Such great wisdom is just pouring from the pulpit right now. God is smarter than we are. Or maybe possibly one, of, one or two of you might be thinking, thanks for wasting 20 minutes of my life. I already knew God is smarter than me. Well, I have one word for you, if that's what you're thinking. Really? Really? Did you really already know that God is smarter than you are? Because if you really already knew that God is smarter than you are, you wouldn't be arguing with God when he asked you to do something. You wouldn't be making excuses. This kind of understanding, when it's truly life deep, that God is smarter than I am, leads to radical obedience. Radical obedience. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3. This is a couple chapters down. And as I'm reading this, Bernie and the worship team, whenever you're ready, you can come out. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools 
so that you may become wise. True wisdom, right? For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. Don't be deceived. Don't think, I already know God's smarter than me, without really looking at your life and saying, do I live in radical obedience? Because I really believe that God is smarter than me. Now, there was, you may have heard of these five men. In the 1950s, there were five men who felt a call from God. And they said, I feel called to the Wa'udani people. This, is a, this was a very violent tribe of people. And they said, I, they, these five men said, I feel called to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this very violent tribe of people, the Wa'udani people. So they went down to uh, Central America, South America, I'm not exactly sure. And they started to get to know the culture a little bit. They met a, a woman who left the Wa'udani tribe who was actually able to teach them some phrases and some of the language that they could use when they start to make contact. So they start, they had this little plane. They would fly over the beaches where the tribe was and they would drop gifts. That's how they started. They dropped gifts to this, this tribe of people. And then they would start to call out these phrases, you know, greetings and, you know, to make it clear, we're, we come in peace, we're friendly. Then they stopped one time and they took one of the men into their into their small airplane, and they flew him all around over the, the treetops and the beaches and where the tribe was. And he, he was just beside himself, leaning out of the plane, looking at everything, excited, pointing at everything. So they're excited. We are bringing the gospel to these people. We're making contact. So they, they decide, all right, it's time. We're going to go a little further. We're going to bring some gifts. We're going to land the plane, and we're going to talk to these people. So... Right at the beginning of their missionary journey, they go down to this beach. They land their plane. They get out of the plane with their gifts. And here come several Wa'udani men with spears and start throwing their spears at them. Out of the five men that landed on that beach, five men were killed by the Wa'udani tribe. Now, one of the wives of one of the men, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth. She actually wrote a story about this. She wrote a book about this called Through Gates of Splendor. If you haven't read that story, you've got to read it. But she said this, around the world, the death of these young men was called a tragic nightmare. This is a tragic nightmare. They knew they were risking their lives to bring the gospel to these people. And the first thing that happened is they're murdered. They get killed right away. So she says this, it's called a tragic nightmare. But Elizabeth believed the world was missing something. The wife of one of the men who was killed. She wrote, the world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, those men, that was the 1950s. You know, 
they, they can't keep their lives forever. And they ended up giving their lives, trying to reach people for the gospel, and they lost their lives. It's a senseless tragedy. You look at it and say, that's, that's messed up. That is upside down. What good could possibly come from that? This radical obedience. But you probably, if you've heard this story, you know what happened. The wives of these men continued to minister to the Wa'udani people. And these people said, we killed your husbands. Why are you still coming to us in love? They said it's this foolish message of the cross that preaches forgiveness, that preaches love. And many of those men ended up coming to Christ as a result of the wives continuing to reach out to them. It's foolishness. It's upside down. It makes no sense. And yet that's what God uses. God is smarter than we are. Do you think those five men regret giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though they saw no fruit in their lifetime? I guarantee you they do not. And when they embrace those people, it will be only with love and only with gratitude for what God was going to be able to do. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you really believe that God is smarter than you are? Do you believe it enough that it will bring radical obedience to your life? What is it that you are arguing with God over? Some of the big ones are money, sex, and power. God says to give away the first 10% of your income. We say, if I do that, I'm not going to have enough left. Do you really believe the principles of God are true for you? Do you really believe God is smarter than you? Maybe there is, you know, that has to do with our money. What about relationships? What about sex? Are you surrendering to what God says is best? Or your own wisdom and your own desires? Maybe there's a relationship you are in right now and God is saying, get out. That relationship is not right for you. That relationship is not good for you. Do you really believe God is smarter than you are? Or maybe there's a relationship that God is saying, stay put. And you're saying, you don't know my spouse. <laughs> you don't know how hard it is. Oh, really? God doesn't understand? You think he's really smarter than you? Are you willing to stay put when you want to flee because you trust God? Maybe, maybe it has to do with career. Maybe it has to do with sin or addictions. You know, we may think that the power of drugs or alcohol or caffeine or sugar are too strong for God. They are not. God is stronger than all of those things. And maybe, maybe you're looking at the cross and you're seeing foolishness. Maybe you have always looked at the cross and said, that is weakness. 
Maybe you've looked at it and said, I don't need that. I'm not that bad. Or maybe you've looked at it and said, that's not enough for me. I'm too bad. I've done too much wrong. I've failed too much. But if we truly believe God is smarter than us, then we will believe him enough to radically obey him, enough to give our hearts over to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you are smarter than we are. And we believe it enough that we are going to radically obey whatever you're asking us to do. If that is salvation, Lord, we come to you and say, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God who died for my sins, and it's enough to pay the price for me. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life, and I commit to radically obeying you. And if we've already given our life to Christ, I mean, he, God might be calling you into something big. Maybe he's calling you into the Chapel U internship. He wants to train you for ministry. Maybe he wants you to take some classes. Maybe it's something small like joining a crew or a serve team. What is God asking you to do that you've been arguing with him about? Just take a minute and just allow yourself to just listen to the Holy Spirit. And say, Jesus, what is it that I have been arguing with you about? Where have I been resisting you? I think for somebody today, that, that's forgiveness. Somebody has wronged you. Somebody has hurt you. And you don't want to let go of that. You think, if I let go of that, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. But the upside-down kingdom says, no, by forgiving them, you're letting yourself off the hook. So, Lord, we forgive today. We choose to forgive, even when it doesn't make sense. We choose to obey, even when it doesn't make sense. Lord, continue to speak to our hearts. And give us the strength and the courage to move when you say move and stay put when you stay put to radically obey anything you ask us to do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you again for checking out this message. If you would like help taking your first steps on your faith journey, you can text the number 315-444-2100 and include the word Jesus in your text. We're going to follow up with you and help you get started. God bless you and thank you again.